0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. Footballers DFS podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts.
1: Welcome in to a very, very hot summer here in Arizona. It's the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast. I am your host, Kyle Borganoni, and I'm with Matthew, wait a second, it's not Betts, DeSorbo. Matt Desorbo, special guest. How are you doing, man?
2: Hey Kyle, how's everything going? It's uh, it's it's great to be here. I'm a huge fan of the DFS Pod, so it's an honor to be subbing in for Bets, who is uh, newly anointed uh, dad life, and and shout out to him. Amazing stuff there, but uh, really excited for the show today. I think you know we have a, a good show coming, and I'm I'm excited to dive into it with you.
1: Yeah. So Desorbo, those of you who don't know, is one of our writers at thefamousfootballers.com. And we'll kind of get into just a second his backstory, how he got involved. And I think it's just fascinating in general. If you think about fantasy football, no one went to college and majored in fantasy football as their main thing. Like everyone comes from so many different parts of, you know, academia and this is your former job. You know, I've been a teacher, bets is a physical therapist. So I love that kind of we get this hodgepodge approach of, you know, across different disciplines and you kind of get to get people's area of expertise. So today we're going to be talking about best ball variance and volatility and kind of look at different players and and how the math works out. DeSorbo and Betts put out an article that we teased last week and we're going to get to unveil that. But yes, if you're wondering how Betts is doing, he is alive. Him and his wife, Monica, they had twin girls and I was texting with Betts last night. Um, Fatherhood is a big step, but when you're adding two, it is a big deal. I know you're not at that point, DeSorbo. But uh, yeah, dad life, dude. What advice can you give the people about dad life?
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I am not there yet. One day <laughs> I, 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 hope to, I hope to get there. So my advice will probably fall flat, but uh, I think Betts puts it, puts it best. And that's a little bit of a tongue twister. Betts puts it best. I think if you have a couple of best ball lineups lined up for that, for, or, sorry, best ball drafts lined up for that first week, probably going to make the adjustment period a bit easier easier so i think having fantasy as an outlet during that time is the best advice that i can give as a for young man
1: for sure you need different weird outlets i've told people before i did a three-month uh thing with pro football focus when we had my first child so i looked at game film of college football players especially <laughs> there's a lot of games in the whack so i'd have a lot of a lot of games that would go like 55 45 and have to chart all those games so you find some weird things to get into because your hours are going to look different so we'll get to hear from bets in a couple of weeks but I want to open up and kind of get people to get to know you. So I personally have got to know you as a friend, um, someone as that I feel you know a lot of confidence in asking you big questions. Uh, but Jason and I have also talked to you a lot about projections and how that works. And so let's talk a little bit about your background. People have heard you tease before as you're at Harvard. So quickly, uh, tell people about what program you're in right now.
2: Definitely. And uh, I think this speaks to what you were mentioning about fantasy as a way to bring people together that might not necessarily interact in in a different setting. And I think that's a really cool thing about fantasy other than winning money. Right. It's it's cool to be able to communicate with people. Um, So I'm in a uh, first year, I guess I'm finishing my first year of Ph.D. program. Um, The name is kind of uh, long and complicated, but it boils down to data science. Um, I'm focused on data science and specifically how it is, how it works kind of in, in the business context. Um, but that allows me to use a lot of uh, data science school, uh, skills of scraping, aggregating, organizing data to hopefully try to say some interesting things about fantasy football. Um, I've always loved football and I've always loved analytics and fantasy football is a way to kind of merge those two interests. So hopefully I've been able to do that through some of articles and insights and, and generally on the Twitter sphere.
1: You're speaking my love language uh, when it comes to just scraping large amounts of data and then asking big questions. I mean, I think that's the best part about fantasy football research is you ask a big enough question and it's okay if you don't know the answer right off, you get to let the data speak for itself. So I love that. Um, we have lots of different research tools and stuff on the website, fantasyfootballers.com. And you actually got to influence our auction tools this year and uh, the ultimate draft kit and be a part of that. So it's really cool. Give me your first fantasy memory. So, you know, when you first started getting into fantasy football, give me one of those first ones.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. And you you have to go far back. I think it was six or seven. So around 2002, 2003, my dad sat us us down at the kitchen table and said, you guys like football. You seem to like numbers. So let's try this new thing. Fantasy football set up a league on ESPN. It was was a four-team league, me, my brother, (laughs) and my parents, which is hilarious because the teams are all just super stacked Um, my team was, was named the Matt pies because I like, I still do, but I also really liked pie at the time. Um, and I won the inaugural inaugural uh, season for our league and it's kind of continued along the way. We've added people. It's a 12 team league now it's in its, you know, 20 or 21st year. Um, but it's one of those things where I feel like I grew up with fantasy and I feel like a lot of listeners probably have a similar, uh, experience where they're young. Um, a mentor, a parent, a friend gets them into it and it kind of just goes from there. So I like to think of fantasy as kind of part of my core memory in life.
1: And what's what I love about you is you got connected, uh, one of our writers that you, know, you applied a couple years ago, and I'm actually in that process of finalizing that right now. Our last couple of writers will be announced in the next week or so um, of our new crop. But what attracted me most to you and your application was I, I knew you were good at math, those kind of things but you love the spitballers. Like you actually love the other show that we get to do. <laughs> that is just nonsense. If you haven't checked it out, spitballers pod, uh, just a fun off season. But yeah, tell me about like what got you into that, uh, from like a math perspective. Cause it's a comedy podcast.
2: Totally. Totally. So, uh, I think it was, was, I forget exactly what it was, but Mike referenced a draft done on the spitballers and I love drafting. I love ranking things. I love analyzing things. So the draft seemed right in my alley. I went back and listened to all, you know, the drafts of like the first 100 episodes or something and did a little bit of data crunching to see who the best drafter was. Spoiler alert, it's usually Jason, um, which I'm sure he'd be happy to hear. Um, but that's how I kind of got hooked. I would listen to the drafts and then I said, oh, these are pretty good and would go back and listen to the whole episode. And now it's like, you know, the footballers, the spitballers. I'm equally excited when each of them drops. So um, I think it's a just a cool way. If you you haven't checked it out, this is a great plug. Check out Spitballers Pod. It's just a good way to you know get even more involved with the brand in a non-football, just totally fun setting.
1: And we are not holding him hostage to say that he really does enjoy the show. I do too. I listen with my my kids. Uh, all right, well, last thing, and then we'll get into our main topic of the show. I want you to demystify harvard because when people hear that name or we reference it people have their ideas um from movies or whatever of you know this is what harvard's like this is what it's like getting into harvard this is what everyone's like so any stereotypes or anything you want to demystify about that school
2: yeah really good question um and i love to talk about harvard i think it's a really amazing and interesting place with a lot of cool history and quirk so we can talk about it as much as you want i think uh Uh, One quick thing is the the movie, The Social Network, where they talk about the founding of Facebook. I actually think that does a very good job kind of describing the social scene of Harvard. I think it kind of hits that on the nose. Um, But in terms of stereotypes you mentioned, uh, my biggest stereotype going going in, which I probably think is shared by a lot of people, um, I arrived on campus as a freshman and I said, look at all these nerds. They are going (laughs) to be super nerdy, super into the books, staying in the library up late you know, just not doing anything. And I'm, I'm not a super athletic person, but I'm decently athletic. And I said, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show everyone how to throw a football. I'm going to be the star of the soccer team and the baseball team, the basketball team. And I'm going to be the coolest kid around. I'm going to be, you know, (laughs) the most magnetic, the funniest. And I showed up the first day and I met my roommates and they were very smart and they were very athletic and they were very cool. And they, you know, had great personalities and played all these types of instruments. And what I learned was that Harvard is a place where you do have people who are extremely good at one thing, really good at playing the violin, really good at doing math, really good at writing. But most of the people at Harvard are just kind of jack of all trades where they're very good in a bunch of different areas. And that was something that completely blew my mind because I was expecting the opposite. Um, I just had my five-year reunion this weekend. That was why, That's why my voice is a little bit rusty. Um, and it's really cool to see how those people have kind of branched off into different parts of life. So it's a very cool place, very stimulating, very exciting. Um, and it's been a pleasure to be involved with it.
1: No, and I'll just say for for the show fans footballers it's benefited us. <laughs> you know, I, I think Jason's the best in terms of pandering and shamelessly giving plugs, but it has been good to be able to say your name and any of our writers. I love being able to put in the show docs uh articles that I feel confident in, and articles that I think actually have influenced and so there's a lot of things that we've referenced this past year on the DFS show. I know there's one about matchups that has been really helpful. To be able to not uh, overvalue, hey, this defense is really, really good against you know wide receivers. It's like, hey, Devonte Adams is good. Ignore the matchup. Who cares? Yeah. Like you know things like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. And if you want to get in on some of those insights from Desorbo, for myself, bets, the Ultimate Draft Kit we have available online right now. Best Ball Primer, Best Ball Rankings. It gets updated weekly, and everything else you want in the Ultimate Draft Kit. We tell people if you want a friend on the toilet. Don't invite your friend, but we'll give you one. We'll give you a friend with the UDK app that you can use anytime you want. So go to ultimatedraftkit.com, and the full DFS pass will launch uh, as we get closer in August. But you're here for best ball, so let's talk about it. Let's do it.
0: Best ball bonanza.
1: We are still trucking. In the summer of best ball, we've only hit June. It's uh, I, I tweeted this out, but this week it really hit me how hot it is here in Arizona in terms of the heat. Like the high every single day is going to be above 105. Like it's just it's a given. Oof. And the humbling part is the evening. I don't I, I I forget what life was like in Atlanta and other parts of the U.S. But uh, and around the world, those of you listening. But the reality is, it stays in the high nineties at night. So what, oh my gosh. what do I do? Like, how do I approach this? I don't have a game plan. I just kind of moved here, but it was 97 last night at about eight 30. Any, any thoughts disorder what I should do? Oh
2: my, oh my goodness. So I'm from uh, the Northeast and this summer I'm, I'm in Seattle where it's, where it's not as hot. Um, I don't, I don't know what you're going to do. I'm, I don't know if you're like this. I feel like I'm similar to Jason where I'm pretty good in the cold. I can handle myself. But my brain starts to shut down as soon as we get north of 80, 85 degrees. So, you know, I uh I guess like tie bags of ice to your feet and and kind of walk around. I, I wish I could help you, but I'm curious to learn your kind of crash course after dealing with your first Arizona summer.
1: I would say just quickly, uh middle of the day siestas are real. Like with our kids, like in mm-hmm. the summer, we like pull down the curtains and we tell them, like, hey. Like from about one to three, that is a period where it is gonna be quiet in our house, nobody's gonna go outside. So people really do take that time. Uh and then you just have to have such short windows. I mean, for us we have a pool, so we're pretty fortunate to survive and but you just can't stay outside in long stretches like I'm used to. It's uh it's definitely a humbling thing, but I know there's people out here who've lived here their whole life and they know it's coming, it's totally fine.
2: But yeah, it's got to be interesting to see the lifestyle adjusting to the lifestyle and seeing how native Arizonians kind of know this stuff automatically. And you're just realizing, okay, it's been five minutes. I got to get back inside. So it's a tough adjustment.
1: I think I've already made a bunch of dumb decisions. But hey, that's uh, that's part of parenting. That's that's kind of what you do. I want to talk about today. We're going to unpack an article that you and Betts wrote Team Matt, as they call him. That's right. Uh side note Matthews like do they get along like I would say Kyles um Kyles kind of have bad reputations out there that um you know there's I think there's a meme or you know of just Kyles being loud and obnoxious people and uh, I have a couple Kyles that I really like and then a couple Kyles I don't like so much so any any take any hot takes on Matthews
2: Matthews are cool it's a super common name I mean especially kind of in the area I'm from I mean, I've met a ton of Matthews in my life and have no problem with any of them. Most of them are, are very good friends. So I think, you know, if, if you know, obviously doesn't matter for Betts, uh, you know, he's already kind of gone through the naming process. But if you have a kid coming up, you're, you're thinking about a name, Matt, Matthew, Matty, all great options. I've never met a Matt I didn't like. So um, I'm plus one on, on the Matt train.
0: Well,
1: Kyle, it's a bit more volatile, which leads us into the article you wrote. Uh, embracing it's about embracing volatility. And you guys were all about quantifying what variance looks like in best ball. Uh, Bets and I talk a lot about win rates. We talk about opportunity costs for players and where you can actually take them and who's actually going to help your team. So for instance, last year you had players like we'll discuss in a second, but Deontay Johnson and Mike Williams were the ones that were highlighting the article Deontay Johnson's been a safe PPR option. Uh, you knew what you were getting. Mike Williams One week, he would win you a ton of money in DFS. The next, wouldn't even show up. So we're talking about volatility and embracing that. We're getting at a question that is kind of the stereotypical thing now with best ball is, is this player better in best ball? The Deshaun Jackson types, and does it carry any weight? We talked about this actually a little bit on the main show, but I'm glad we have a format here that is completely devoted to it. And so my question for you is, how did you go from the question of, is this player better in best ball? A big question like that to figuring this out. So in other words, what was the methodology that you used to start this conversation?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I think kind of just framing the question, what's really nice about best ball is you have this really well-defined metric of win rate, top six rate etc that tells you kind of the value of a player in terms of winning a fantasy league so i think that's very important um the tricky thing with best ball is that uh in standard leagues the most important factor when drafting a player is their mean in in a sense like the average you know what you estimate they're going to score and if i can get really nerdy for a second that's called the first moment of a distribution best ball takes it another level and asks about the second moment which is related to the variance of a player um, and kind of the variance of their outcomes. And again, we'll, we'll dive into this. Uh, in standard leagues, variance generally is not a good thing. I wrote an article last year. If you have a, a, a fancy team that's above average, you want players to be more consistent because inconsistency when a player is, is is inconsistent. You have more to lose than you have to gain when your team is already good. And and I kind of lay that out better in the article. In best ball, it's the complete opposite. You know, we're gonna dive into it, but you want to swing for for the fences. Um, So the the question that you want to define is, okay, uh, how does variance affect the value of a player? How does variance affect the win rate of a roster? Um, And the way I think about kind of solving these questions, there's generally two ways. One, we can look at the data that we have, and, you know, we have all this amazing data that we can crunch and see if we can tease out relationships. And two, we can actually try to bootstrap this ourselves, um, build a computer program that kind of simulates what fantasy leagues look like, play with a couple of variables, run the simulation a bunch, and then kind of see how these different lineups do. So those are the two main methodologies that I have when I'm thinking about any question empirical looking at the data we have and simulation trying to run things that you know we create in our computer
1: yeah i feel like it's usually an either or that people do they're like okay well i'm gonna i have this cool model that i have i'm gonna run a ton of simulations what it said but also like you said we have the historical data of you know in front of us like i can use tools like a uh, shout out to rotoviz but i use their tool all the time their underdog best ball explorer to talk about win rates and talk about different positional lineups and, and roster construction. So you're saying, Hey, in this article, I want to look at both because they're both valuable and they both matter. So from there, knowing that you wanted to do that, I'm going to just sound really stupid here. How the heck do you run simulations? How how, <laughs> how, how does that work?
2: Yeah, yeah. Good question. Um, so it, I don't want, I'm not going to like jump through all like the details of the algorithm because <laughs> they're, they're laid out in the article, but, but the way, the way I kind of think about it is, um, <sighs> Okay, this is a little bit lame as well, but I, I like to imagine, like, what would you do if you had, like, a thousand years and you had a pencil and paper and you could, like, you know, write, basically, like, you could, you could do all this work, but it would take you a long time because you're a human, right? Um, a computer can do that way, way faster, right? So, if you can set up a task that you know will get you the answer, but it would take a lot of work for a human to do, it's probably a pretty good task for a computer. And in this case, what that task is, is, like creating two lineups and seeing if the more vo- the lineup with the more volatile player beats the other player or beats the other lineup, right? Very simple. At the end of the day, it's like two lineups, one is a more volatile player, which one wins. But we want to do that like hundreds of thousands of times. That would take a long time for a human to put those lines together, see which one wins, write down which one, you know, that would, that would take days to do, right? But a computer can do it in, in 20 seconds. So in simulations, I think of, okay, what's the simplest task that we, we can do like create code out of the computer and run it many, many times. And then on the flip side, which you're mentioning, which we'll talk about, um, you know, great data from Rotoviz, NFL Fast R is a data source I use a lot. In that sense, you're doing something completely different where you're like running analytics on the data. But the simulation I like to think of, okay, what can I make the computer do faster than me?
1: So you looked at data from, like you mentioned, over 100,000 different lineups comparing, you know, ones that are highly volatile and ones that have kind of that median outcome. When you're looking at all of that, you know, I'm um, a hundred thousands starting to get to a big number. Like if you said, like two or 3000 and be like, Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's nice. I think I could actually do that myself. But when you start to get up to that number, it's a lot. Does that amount of data ever feel overwhelming? Because you know, our goal is to take that and then give actionable information, which, you know, the rest of this episode is going to be talking about the key takeaways. Does that ever get overwhelming with that amount of data and that many lineups?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. And um, it can get scary, right? You can start to think like, oh, my goodness. But I think what's what the the crucial discrepancy is, adding rows, so like another uh, matchup, another matchup, another matchup, that's less tricky than adding columns, like adding different variables. Like in addition to who wins, I want to look at the score and I want to look at the time and I want to look at all these different variables. Um, adding rows, it's like, okay, we have a bigger data set, but we kind of know the format for everything, and and that once you kind of get used to it, it doesn't really add a lot of complexity. Um, and we actually kind of need a lot of simulations because a lot of these metrics and statistics are relying on big data sets, the law of large number, numbers, the central limit theorem in some cases, where we require a big sample size to be confident about the results that we're getting. Um, so the short answer is, if you construct your question well and you have a clean data set, adding more rows is not going to feel like you're adding a lot of complexity.
1: Perfect. All right. Before we get into our key takeaways from the study, let's take a quick break.
2: This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself...
1: All right, so if you got lost in some of that, welcome to the club. I got to edit this article, and so I will say I love editing your articles because I know I'm going to learn something. Um, I'm also I also have to read back through it because I can't assume I understand what I just read sometimes. And so, but I I do I will say this: I think you're good at taking big piece of information, a lot of data, and then turning it into what's actionable. Usually you do this for me. So I'm just bragging on you as an editor. You usually end up emboldening whatever that key takeaway point is at the end of a paragraph. You're like, this is (laughs) all of that is what I'm trying to say right here. So that's super helpful. If you're ever reading an article, uh, make sure you look at that. But let's first talk about how best ball the format really is different in terms of volatility, the way that we would think about redraft, the way that we think about DFS. Like in DFS, my, my opportunity cost is like, I lost money. Uh, But I can start all over next week. In redraft, I start a player and, you know, I got a bad result, but I can play the waivers, I can trade, I can put somebody else in. In best ball, our lineup is set and the computer is going to pick the optimal one, but best ball lineups inherently have a layer of bust protection, right? Like if one of your wide receivers plays bad, hopefully you make it up from having eight or nine different other guys that can, can come through. So how does that shift our mindset knowing that, that best ball has a some layer of insurance in terms of busting.
2: Totally. When I when I look at a player, I think of players, uh, or at least in terms of fantasy scoring, uh, as a distribution, and usually that distribution is mound shaped, right, bell curve, however you want to call it. Uh, but in best ball, the left side, you know, the the the, t- the left tail, the bust games, that part of the distribution is usually shaved off just because of the de- definition of the dynamics of best ball. When a player scores zero points, one points, you're probably going to have another player who outscored them and you get to throw that score out. Um, So that adds a very interesting, from a statistical perspective, from a fantasy perspective, um, thinking about these players when we have the left tail of the distribution kind of truncated.
1: So when I'm looking at certain players, like I, I, from this article, my biggest takeaway is if I'm deciding between two players, then the one that has a little bit higher, you know, volatility. And even though if they have a similar projection, like that's who I want. So the players we were talking about most recently were Deontay Johnson and Mike Williams. Mike Williams is kind of like a superstar on this podcast. A couple of years ago, he won bets a lot of money on showdown and he's someone that, you know, we're kind of suckered for the chargers. My question is how many spike weeks do I need? So if I look back through Mike Williams, like game logs from this past year, remember he started off super hot you know, kind of went hot and cold and then came on towards the end of the year. I don't know that answer, right? I don't know how many spike weeks Mike Williams is going to have. But when I'm deciding between players, like how what am I looking at in terms of saying this player is actually volatile? Like I can look back and say, Mike Williams can give me four or five weeks that are through the move. Or like Terry McLaurin this past year last year, in redraft, he had four weeks where he was like a top 10 player. He was awesome. And he wasn't usable the rest of the time. Like it was actually a yeah. you know, train wreck. So how do how can I figure that out in terms of not knowing how many I'm going to get? Like how many do I need in terms of spike weeks specifically for wide receiver That's a
2: yeah. That's that's a great question. And I think I'm going to get to the the bolded part of the article that you were mentioning because I know I've been just
1: no, you're good talking you're doing a lot
2: great. about random uh, statistics. But the so the uh, uh, the way we kind of looked at it is uh, uh, we wanted to estimate what like like you said the effect of volatility on win rate and the bottom line that we found is for a player with double the volatility and when I say volatility I mean variance of uh scoring across weeks uh so imagine Mike Williams has double the volatility of uh, another wide receiver maybe Deontay Johnson um the player with double the volatility will increase the top six probability of that entire roster by 10 percent which is massive right if if a player has twice the volatility, we see plenty of players with high volatility, they get a really big jump for the entire roster. And this requires a lot of the other variables to be held constant, right? Like they have to kind of have the same draft capital because there's an opportunity cost in drafting a player, to, you know, the other, the rest of the builds matter. The week The week that these scores come matters kind of distribution, but that's a general result is that volatility is really important. And kind of putting that in even more understandable terms, when I looked at importance in terms of affecting the win rate, we found that variance volatility was about a third to a half as important at to uh, compared to how much a player scores. So obviously how much a player scores is the most important thing by far. You want your players to score a lot of points, but volatility is like 33 to 50% as important as that, which means it's massively important. And I think the takeaway is that, you know, whenever you're picking a player, you're of course considering how much he's going to score. You have to consider how like high his variance is going to be and how he's going to score those points, I think is the big takeaway. Um, So in the Mike Williams case, he's a great, yeah, sorry. uh, uh, In the Mike Williams case, like he's high volatility. You expect a much higher win probability for his roster.
1: No, it's interesting because now we're at a situation looking at ADP where my boy Keenan Allen love Keenan Allen more than anything else. They're back to back right now. It's wide receiver 12 for Keenan Allen, wide receiver 13 on underdog for Mike Williams and so people are actually having to make that decision. A player that is super consistent, that we know what Keenan Allen is, right? 100 receptions, 1,100 yards, six touchdowns. Like that's what he's been the last four or five years. And Mike Williams is going to be a roller coaster ride. So if I see that their projections are similar and I see these players back to back, like, am I crazy? Because in my last couple of drafts, I've abandoned my heart and I've been taking Mike Williams ahead of Keenan hmm. Allen.
2: No, that is absolutely not crazy. If you know, you're controlling for everything and all the variables are the same. And in this case, you know, these are two wide receivers on the same team. So a lot of the variables are the same. Um, But one player has much higher volatility. You want to pick that player. Um, You know, that ADP that you were mentioning, it might have baked in some potential injury risk for Mike Williams. We all know he's a super aggressive uh, player, jumps really high, sometimes (laughs) lands in the wrong way. So that could be baked into the ADP, but that's a perfect case of kind of looking at these rankings and saying, this doesn't look like it's adjusting for volatility. I would 100 times out of 100 take Mike Williams over Keenan Allen in a best ball draft.
1: Nice. I, I'm. It's scary for me when I look at how bullish we are on Mike Williams. I know he just got a big contract extension. He did finish as a wide receiver one. But our, our show overall, uh, Andy, Mike, and Jason are very bullish. They all have him as a wide receiver one right now in their projections. And in, in home leagues... And sleeper, you know, and formats like that, like, he's he's going in the fifth round, which is very different than in best ball, where a format where we're, you know, shooting for the moon, we're not trying to get third place and get in the playoffs, like, we're trying to try to win it all. So, volatility is really good for win rates, you know, what we talked about in terms of increasing your overall rosters, but we also have to have the quantity of receivers. We actually have to do that. In underdog lineups, you have to start three wide receivers each week and a potential flex. So, knowing that roster construction, knowing what I have to get out of wide receivers and what we've seen from the win rates, like nobody got to the finals last year with less than six wide receivers. Like you need, you know, we would say eight or nine is probably better in terms of win rates. Does that change at all in terms of the uh, collection of wide receivers you're trying to get? You're not trying to get all Mike Williams on your rosters.
2: Yeah, a really good question. I think the, kind of the breakdown that you and, and bets were talking about a couple episodes ago makes sense. I think it was like seven plus wide receivers because you're totally right. If you only have two wide receivers and Mike Williams bus, you don't have the bus protection that you thought you did because you know, you just don't have enough wide receivers to start. So you need a big group of wide receivers to actually ensure that that bus, bus protection is working. Um, and in terms of what you said, uh, you know, not focusing on entirely Mike Williams, maybe mixing in some consistent players, some boom bus players. That's interesting too, because you could see a world where you just have all completely volatile players and you just hope they hit at different times, but it's probably a more reasonable strategy to say, okay, I have a couple of solid dependable wide receivers that I know will give me that floor, that kind of high floor of bus protection when my kind of rock stars Uh, don't have an on week. So I think that's a very reasonable way to approach uh, roster construction.
1: Yeah, Yeah. and I know we think of ADP as just like, hey, this is where someone was drafted, but you're also banking in, this is the type of score I'm getting from a player at this draft spot. So Michael Pittman's going a couple spots later and his outcomes last year, like he only had three finishes inside the top 15 and he tailed off in the second half, but it was much more dependable So last year where you get Michael Pittman, and I'm tuning our own horn right here, like you can get him at wide receiver 50 last year. Like nobody was on Michael Pittman. This year, if you're drafting him at wide receiver 14, 15, wherever, then you're counting on that score each week. And yes, you're going to love it when you get to ride the highs, but you're also saying this guy is going to score a certain amount of points that is deserving of this draft spot. So last question here before we get into some player takes if you are deciding on players later on in your draft, and we're, we've mostly been talking wide receivers because they are the most volatile position in terms of week to week, you know, tight ends pretty heavily influenced by touchdowns. But when you are going later in draft, there are players that I would say typically have been this safe floor player, the Jamison Crowder's types where it's like, okay, he's not going to poop the bed, but he's also not going to go for six for one forty. It's just not really who he is. But you have some other players in that range where Van Jefferson, like he's a big play guy, goes a little bit later. Uh, DJ Chark, another player that's kind of been a boom bust throughout his career. If you are deciding on those types of players and you are in the 12th, 13th, 14th round, you're just trying to build out the rest of your wide receiver roster, is there any lean towards high variance or is it kind of situation by situation? Like Crowder's tied to Josh Allen, so that's why his ADP has risen. Where these other players, it's like, I have no idea what I'm going to get out of DJ Chark.
2: Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. I think the answer depends on how your draft has gone. If your wide receiver one and wide receiver two are Mike Williams and Tyreek Hill, we're both, you know, boom bust players. It might make sense to get that steady floor of Jameson Crowder. However, if you have, I don't know, Devontae Adams and Deontay Johnson, who are very steady, um, Devontae Adams does have some boom games. But in general, those are two very very steady wide receivers it can't hurt to take a shot on someone like a van jefferson or someone like a dj chark that you were mentioning um i'm trying to think of other boom wide receivers but it makes sense to kind of balance your team i think you know if you focused on volatility early maybe get the consistency later and vice versa
1: nice all right so let's get into some player discussions and i would be remiss if i didn't use this drop
0: checking in with the wise guys
1: you know we used to use this on our dfs show that when we talk about something really smart we'd use that drop and so i felt i felt bad that i didn't i had it here and we just went through some some good data stuff i mean we i just needed to use it do you feel okay that i use that for you
2: i feel great i went through a stretch where i was really into uh mob uh, mob movies like mafia (laughs) movies and wise guys it's like good, a uh, good fellow, a wise guy, a mob guy. That's so. I, I had a different interpretation instead of like the smart. I was thinking like the Sopranos. Or, but, but that's 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 great too. That, that all it all works.
1: No, dude, that's that's even better. Now I'm gonna think about the drop very differently every time. We yeah, use it. yeah. <laughs>
2: all
1: right. So we discussed some players uh, that have similar ADPs earlier. Talked a lot about Big Mike Willie because he's our boy. But I want to go through each position. You and I can kind of go back and forth. Um, and I'll throw out the name. You can start us off, but. We're going to look through players at each position that have, you know, some more volatile outcomes than maybe people realize. Uh, I think a lot of times with players, we've seen what they've been. We've seen their past. And, yes, you know, past success, you know, the past is a window of the future. But it doesn't mean we just copy and paste what these players have been. And that's what I love about football is that we're looking for a range of outcomes. So we, we're starting a series right now on the Fantasy Footballers website about Wide receiver ones, and who could be a wide receiver one? Who has the range of outcomes? I mean, did anyone have in the range of outcomes Cooper Cup being the wide receiver one, putting together, you know, second best wide receiver season of all time? Like, I love thinking about players and what could be and where the range of outcomes are. So let's talk about this first one, Dak Prescott. I was in a draft, and I passed on him recently. He's QB 10 in ADP, and I really asked myself, like, can Dak, with his weapons— you know, like, it's it's a different wide receiver group behind CeeDee Lamb. Uh, it's I have to count on Dalton Schultz to, like, be a lead again. Can he give me the range of outcome? Can he give me a top three to four or five season? And that's kind of what I was debating. So what are your thoughts on Dak?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he brought Dak up because he's way more volatile than I think we give credit for. And, again, volatility is kind of the, the, the watch word of this episode last season, he had five performances inside the top three at the position. So the QB three are better. So five weeks, but he also had five weeks outside of the QB 15 range. So outside of the top 15, so five weeks where he's helping you win your week and five weeks where he, five weeks where he's completely letting you down. What's interesting is that his ADP in standard leagues is the QB seven off the board. And in best ball, he's lower. You mentioned, you know, the QB 10 off the board recently. Um, And I like to think of Dak compared to a player like Jalen Hurts, where Jalen Hurts, um, I think in general fantasy managers think of Jalen Hurts as a very volatile player because he kind of has that rushing upside. But in reality, if you look at Jalen Hurts kind of game log from last year, he was great because he was very steady. Um, He was the QB three twice, and that was it in terms of how high he was. And he never really let you, he, he let you down kind of more at the end of the season, but he was very steady throughout the beginning. Um, and in best ball, he's ranked higher than Dak Prescott. And again, you mentioned we don't want to just cut and paste from last year. Obviously, Dak has lost Amari Cooper. Um, Jalen Hurts has gained A.J. Brown, who's a big, uh, a very volatile guy. But my kind of attitude, especially with Dak Prescott, is I still believe in that upside, especially with another year removed from his injury, the rushing upside. Until he proves me wrong, I'm very in on him for best ball drafts. He has C.D. Lamb, who I think is going to take another step forward. Um, and I still think he gives you that boom upside and I'm again okay with those those bust downsides
1: yeah with Dak last year there was a stretch where it was kind of rough I think it was about you know three quarters away through the season finished strong and hurts I felt that he was my quarterback the entire year in my home league and then pooped the bed the very last week and cost me a championship yep but with the Cowboys they're playing a first place schedule um, and their first place games include Bengals Tampa Bay at home and then the Rams on the road. So there have a couple of games already built in that are kind of going to be tough and going to be high scoring. And you do have to ask yourself the question, when Dak has volume, Dak has been awesome for fantasy. Like, like to the point where you're getting somebody who can be the QB1. Now his rushing touchdowns were not where we've seen in the past. So if that kind of returns, I think you can get there. And the price tag, I I, I love it. I think normally you'd be paying up for Dak in that QB, you know, 4 to 7 range and you're not getting it there. The pa- the options apart from CeeDee Lamb are way cheaper this year. Like just yeah. in terms of where you're drafting Cowboys players, even Ezekiel Elliott. So, in terms of stacking, I think you can get that outcome. I mean, we were all about Cowboys last year. Bets and I had a, a wager on Cowboys to lead the league in scoring, which they did, over 31 points a game. So, this is an offense that I feel like the consensus is they're taking a step back because the Eagles You know, I've taken a step forward and I think at the ADP, you're getting a a relative value that, you know, week to week, you're going to get spike games. Would you feel comfortable in builds where Dak is your QB one? So you have Dak and let's say, you know, you wait a couple more rounds and you get, you know, someone that's a little bit later, like, I don't know, Mac Jones is your QB two and maybe get a QB three. Like, are you okay with Dak being the guy for your team?
2: Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan. So Mac Jones would be my QB one and then Dak my qb two. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, no, I, I'm very comfortable with that. I think, um, if you compare Dak with a steady, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking Matt Ryan, right? A little bit more of a steady QB two. I, I would be very happy with that. Um, you brought up great points about the first place schedule. Um, my thinking with those games against the Bucks, the Rams and the Bengals, defenses are, are tougher to project across years than offenses are. So Aaron Donald, obviously just re-signed with the Rams. That's, that's great news for them, but we're pretty confident. All of those offenses will be good. We're less confident that the defenses will still be dominant. So those could even end up being shootouts, right? Where Dak leads some awesome comeback and and post big game. So I'm, I'm very happy with Dak as my QB one, especially if I'm targeting some RB wide receiver upside earlier in the draft.
1: Yeah. He's going 85th overall. So it is kind of nice to be able to stockpile players you know, at running back wide receiver, maybe you get an early tight end like a Mark Andrews or, you know, I've had drafts where I went Schultz and then Dak right after that. And I got the stack. Um, I did get CD lamb, but I, I think I got somebody that I, can be a difference maker at the tight end position. So yeah, I, I like that we brought up Dak because it feels like he's a player that's just been dependable for fantasy, but his spike weeks are ones that I want and I want on a team that's a cheaper stack than normal. Uh, let's briefly mention Jameis Winston. You put him on the show doc. I, so I've said this before on the, on the show. I'll say it again. Chris Olave might be one of my favorite players to draft this year in terms of where he's mm-hmm. going in ADP. We don't know with Michael Thomas. There was a report that came out today that he's doubtful in terms of just participating in OTAs. So I love Chris Olave. I love Alvin Kamara. But Jameis is – I'm not going to get old Jameis, right? Like am I going to get Jameis that, you know, throws 50 times a game? Probably not. But tell me why you're interested in Jameis.
2: Yeah, Jameis, I think, is a is a perfect QB, two because he just always represents that fantasy upside. You mentioned Chris Olave. That's an amazing weapon to have. I have a, you know, who knows, but I have a feeling that Michael Thomas will be back, you know, at least playing a bit this year. Alvin Kamara is an amazing safety valve. Um, and Jameis is not afraid to throw it deep. Um, and that's exactly what I want. I think last year, before he went down with the injury, he had two games already inside the top five at the position. Um, so he is a perfect option that can win you a week if he plays well. And if they're playing from behind, which you know they play the Bucs twice a year, so they will be playing from behind a couple of times. Um, so I really like targeting him in those later rounds, especially on the flip of on the flip side of what we we're just talking about. If you have a really solid, dependable QB one, James can inject some volatility on, at, at the end of your draft.
1: And the Saints, just for reference, week 17, we talk a lot about that for best ball, uh, they play at the Eagles. So that's a pairing that if you want, uh, let's say you did get A.J. Brown early uh, or you have Jalen Hurts, like Saints and Eagles are two teams that I think are in the playoff hunt. We like them and they have a lot of options. So, yeah, if you get a Jameis stack and you pair them with like a Miles Sanders or, you know, devonta smith so somebody from the eagles like keep that in mind as you're going for a player like that especially Jameis might be slow to start the year but if you're he's your qb2 you're not asking for uh him to get it for you every single week
2: all right yeah and i love that you guys talk i love that you guys talk about sorry i love that you guys talk about that it's all, a lot about intra team stacking where it's Jameis and olave but i love that you guys discuss the inter team where you focus on a specific week and you want guys in the same game because those outcomes are correlated and if they score a lot, it go. So I think it's a really great point that, that you highlighted.
1: Yeah. So we've mentioned before Chiefs and Bengals was a big game this past year, but the highest scoring game of that week was the Lions and Seahawks. All right. 80 crazy. points scored. It was, yeah, it was crazy. It was uh DK Metcalf had three touchdowns. Rashad Penny went bananas, Amon Ross St. Brown. So even if you had a simple pairing, like imagine ending your draft with Rashad Penny and Amon Ross St. Brown, like you won a best ball championship with that. Let's go to running back a position that i would say you know we get safe volume that's usually what we want we're like okay give me guaranteed 15 20 touches that's what i want but you have a player on here that's we're already hot and heavy on the podcast it's aaron jones there's so much to like about aaron jones his adp has crept up from when we started talking about him i it's not because of us we weren't moving the lines but people were drafting aaron jones earlier and earlier his adp is now 18th overall uh, a couple of weeks ago, you could get him in the third round. That's not happening anymore. But tell me why you think Aaron Jones is a player who we should be targeting because A.J. Dillon's in the mix. You know, Aaron Jones fell off a little bit. He was still an RB1, but barely compared to what he was the previous two years. Why should we be targeting Aaron Jones? Only give me the good stuff. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, again, it, it all comes back to volatility and everyone who's – either, you know, had Aaron Jones on their team or faced him on an opposing team knows that he can easily bust or he can go off and score 40 plus points in a week. I mean, at the start of last year, he was the RB 53 in week one, and then turned that around with an RB two performance in week two. So he is totally, uh, you know, opt or can, can go off at, at any given time. And what's interesting for Aaron Jones for me is at least when I was looking at it, his best ball and standard ADP were the same, um, which. You know almost feels like arbitrage in a sense that's it's not baking into the the calculation the the volatility that he brings i think with um the emergence of aj dylan that kind of throws a little bit of of cold water on the fire but what's more important to me is the fact that Devonte adams has left town there's a massive target vacuum um we know aaron Rodgers is back with the packers um and the packers did you know draft a wide receiver, but maybe not as high as we thought. So I think Aaron Jones has the potential to be one of the top targets in this really high powered offense. And paired with the volatility, I really like um that I, it's it's great to hear that he's been creeping up, but also I don't, you know, I don't have to creep up too much before all the listeners can get their Aaron Jones stacks on their team.
1: Yeah, the two players that I have been the most vocal about this offseason, Aaron Jones and Betts has been right there with me, and Chris Olave. So I'm a little scared yeah that they're going to like eventually get to the point where like, Oh no, I can't draft them anymore. They're, I liked them before they were cool. You know, that's, that's really what this is all about. Basketball, yeah. Right? Yep. Uh I like that band before anyone listened to them. Uh, so yeah, I think Aaron Jones, I think 70 receptions is on the table for, for this team. And Aaron Rodgers has never supported rookie wide receivers. It wouldn't shock me if it just gets spread out between Alan Lazard and Christian Watson, you know, the rest of their bunch like Amari Rogers, Randall Cobb, like it it just kind of gets spread out and we don't really know what to do with it. So I think Aaron Jones is is a great play. And you mentioned earlier, like his best ball ADP and his ADP and and redraft leagues are pretty similar. And that tells me that people aren't really baking in the upside that like Aaron Jones can finish in the top five of the position. Like it wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah. And I I don't think that's really taken. So I have drafts right now. I have one going on where Aaron Jones, my RB one, and I felt totally comfortable with it. He's going in a spot where I think a lot of people are getting him as an RB2. I think that's totally fine. But uh, you you definitely can do a lot of work with him. Let's talk about a player for my Falcons that is all over the map, okay, depending on people's views and what they think about him. Andy actually brought him up on the Thursday show as his wild card pick. Uh, and him and I sat down and and we really like started putting the criteria together. Okay. Has there ever been a 31 year old running back who's slash wide receiver who is now in his 10th season, but just had his best season ever. Like there's no template you could find to, to see, you know what Cordell Patterson is. And the only template you can is if you have gadget players, players that are like, was he a wide receiver, but he was using a running back like Tavon Austin or Percy Harvin, those players, when they had their best season, they just fell off a cliff right after that. So Cordero Patterson right now is going much later in drafts than I think people realize. He's RB29 uh, just recently. So what do we do with Cordero? He might not even have to roll the whole year, week to week. I, I can't depend on like 10 carries. So what do you do with him?
2: Yeah, uh, Super bull champion Cordero Patterson with the Patriots has really like been one of my favorite. So I just had to slide that in there has been, has been one of my favorite kind of players to watch this off season. Um, those words you were saying all over the map, wild card, unicorn, that's exactly what we want in best ball, right? He has the receiving upside, even if he doesn't get it down on the ground, even if he gets less than 10 carries, he could still catch two touchdowns. I mean, we saw it last season. He had four games in the top seven, five games as the RB 37 or worse. Um, um, and the nice thing is you're absolutely right. We have to be very cognizant of age for running backs. They fall off a cliff very quickly. However, as you also mentioned, the draft capital, will, the draft capital, you're, you're uh, giving up to draft Cordell, Cordell Patterson is not that high. So it's not like you're taking a bet on maybe uh, a Derek Henry, who I think is very much worth drafting very early. Um, but if, if he does fall off that age cliff, it's much more of a hit for your roster Cordero is going to be your RB2 or your RB3. So if, you know, father time comes knocking, it's not going to be as big of an issue. So I love, um, you know, drafting him in, in best ball drafts. Um, I think the Falcons, no offense, are not going to be an amazing team this year. How dare um, but you? But they have a couple of really exciting. <laughs> I know say, going against, I'm going against the grain, but I think they have a couple of really exciting Uh, offensive options Drake London obviously Kyle Pitts and Cordero that are worth a look in best ball leagues when they are down late in games and trying to put points on the board and and mount a, a crazy comeback so I think he's perfect for best ball
1: I'll say this about the Falcons like that's a fun team that trio you just mentioned like that's that's fun and I think that we'll have some fun moments for fantasy we'll see if they push it in terms of volume like that's never been a Marcus Mariota thing and then a rookie quarterback so I think we're still like a year away, and who knows if CP's even on the the roster. But, yeah, I I don't mind him if you're getting him that late. Uh, I was putting out some research recently to our Discord channel. If you want to get in on that, you can go to jointhefoot.com. But I was looking at when to take your fourth running back and your third running back in terms of what's optimal. And so I think Cordero is actually in that range where if you get him as your RB3, you're not asking for a weekly score. You're asking for spike weeks. And uh, then you take your fourth running back, you know, past the 12th or 13th round. I think, I think it's a good spot for him. Like I thought that based on what he did last year, he would, people would overreact, but that just, uh, that didn't happen. All right. Let's talk about a couple wide receivers and tight end, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, you have a name on here that I've actually like closed my eyes and just said, I don't know what to do with him this year. Uh, it's Darnell <laughs> Mooney of the Chicago bears. Listen, I, we both love Justin Fields. Betts and I both do. We believe in his talent. Mike is a huge Justin Fields fan. I think every single day we send ourselves one message that just says, I still believe. Him and Trey Lance, we, <laughs> we basically haven't moved on those in terms of them being good NFL quarterbacks, and they can be good for fantasy. But Darnell Mooney was like air yard central. Like, hey, throw it deep, and you don't get any points for those. So how are you treating him where it seems like he's the clear number one in this offense? they're probably going to be bad. I've already taken the under on the bears this year. So how does he fit in in terms of a roster? And what are you looking at? He's going as the wide receiver 30. So you're not asking for him to do, you know, a weekly score. Do you think that ADP is warranted with Mooney?
2: Yeah. Uh, again, I I'm very, uh, pro Mooney. I have him in one of my keeper leagues. He's Definitely going to be going to be one of my keepers, and I know I'm a little bit late to the boat. Andy had him as is my guy last year, which which obviously was a good play. Um, I think there's a lot to like with Donald Looney. Um He's going to be a second year wide receiver. We know they generally take a step forward. Justin Fields is a little bit more experience, albeit not amazing experience, but they, they experience have is chemistry. experience. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, I I do uh, sometimes feel that the top wide receivers on bad teams are over. Were drafted. And I actually am staying away from Darnell Mooney in uh, redraft leagues, but in best ball, I think he's the perfect fit. I mean, I won't go through the stats, but he was very volatile last year. As you mentioned, he has a ton of air yards. He's a deep threat. He's a speedster. Um, and those are exactly the traits that we want. And I think as your wide receiver three, just as you mentioned with Cordell Patterson, you're asking for him to have a long bomb touchdown or a couple of touchdowns, which he very much has the potential to do. The other nice thing is that you can very cheaply stack him in Fields, like you were talking about. I mean, I think Fields is the QB 17 off the board. So late in drafts, you can get a stack that when they go off, you know, maybe it's only a couple of weeks of the season, but when they go off, you have a really good chance of, uh, of winning the week. So I'm out on Mooney in redraft. I'm very much in on best ball.
1: Now, I love it with Fields because at QB 18, last year people were saying we're drafting the rookie quarterbacks, Lance and Fields. And drafting them in a range right in that fringe QB one range where they said they have to be an integral part of my team. Now you're asking Fields to be a QB two, even a QB three for your roster. Let's say you get two quarterbacks in that kind of you know seven to ten range. Let's say, you know, you get Dak and, and somebody else like you're asking Fields to put up three or four weeks and you have a roster that looks very different. Nobody's stacking bears. Like nobody's banging down the doors yep. to stack bears. Maybe get Cole Komet later, throw in a Valus Jones if you want to. Uh, so I like them in terms of getting unique from everyone else. Uh, they're going to be bad. I think they're really going to be bad. But I, for fantasy, we're looking for a couple of spike weeks. Um, Tyler Lockett, we're going to talk about him. And I wish Betts was here because he's been in Tyler Lockett Truth Forever every single year. And when he found that Russ was leaving, he was so sad because Tyler Lockett is his main man. He is kind of the picture of up and down volatility. But man, this year, we're not having to pay anywhere close to what we had to in the past. Right now, he is going as the wide receiver 44 behind names like Christian Kirk, Hunter Renfro, and DeAndre Hopkins, who is not even going to be playing for at least seven weeks of the year. So talk to me about Tyler Lockett because we love him.
2: Absolutely. I I, I mean, the drop in, in, in ADP is absolutely warranted. You lose a Hall whole- of Fame quarterback to get Drew Locke, who is obviously a far cry from even probably what is a starting uh, a good starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, but when you're thinking about drafting Tyler Lock in the best ball, you just have to think: Is he still going to be able to attain those boom weeks? We know he's going to have a lot of bust weeks. He had plenty of them last year, so that's nothing new. He was still a great a great player to have. Um, and is he still going to be able to have multi touchdown games, long bombs? And honestly. I think the answer is yes, Drew Lock is not a very competent quarterback. He's Mr. Irresponsible, but the nice thing is that he's not afraid to throw it deep. He's not afraid to take shots. And I think that matches well with Tyler Lockett's skill set. Um, so that wide receiver 44 number is just insane to me. I think having Lockett as my wide receiver three, wide receiver four, wide receiver five is amazing to kind of sprinkle into different rosters. He's going to have big weeks where he kind of delivers you a win. Um, and. I think he's fallen way too far. And I think it's time to get that ADP back up closer.
1: Yeah. And, and we're getting reports that Geno Smith was running with the ones and, you know, there was a stretch where Gino Smith was actually fine, like fine, especially uh, production wise. Uh, I wish Russ was there because of just their historical connection when he targets him. But I love the price tag. Like if you told me he was wide receiver 25 or, you know, 20, you know, 25 to 28, like I'd be like, I'm probably out. I'm counting, i had have to count on him to be my wide receiver too, but man, I'm getting a player that in his, you know, game logs, but just what we see on the field is he's a big play player and that's not going away. So love Tyler Lockett, love where you get him there. Uh, I want to talk about one more player, Dawson Knox at tight end. He's tied to Josh Allen. I think that's why we love him the most. And last year we got got to see, you know, the tight ends or the, the tight ends, the touchdown spike a little bit more than what we'd seen his first two years. He's in a contract year. OJ Howard's now on the team. But at tight end nine, what's so enticing to you?
2: Yeah, and I, I, a name you mentioned earlier, Cole Komet. I think of Dawson Knox and Cole Komet as opposite sides of the coin. Um, they had similar usage in terms of receptions, targets. Dawson Knox way overachieved and Cole Komet way underachieved. I, I think he caught like zero or one. Zero, yeah. And one touchdowns last year. I don't have the numbers in front. Yeah, zero touchdowns last year. Um, so in redraft leagues, I am very in on Cole Komet. If I don't take one of the elite tight ends early, I think again, a bad offense, but he's getting targeted a lot. Um, and those touchdowns will will start to come. And I'm also very out on Dawson Knox because we know touchdowns are not very sticky year over year. And I I think you're going to pay the price. However, in best ball, that touchdown up and down is exactly what we want, right? He's shown that, He has a knack for getting targeted in the red zone. He has another year of trust with with Josh Allen. And he has the capacity to give you a multi-touchdown game. And if you're getting a multi-touchdown game from a tight end that's not named Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, or Kyle Pitts, that's really, really good for your lineup. It means you're probably going to win that week if if someone booms like that. Um, So tight end is kind of a desert, which we all know. I think um, there's not as much nuance going from redraft to best ball because the top tight ends in redraft – you know the three i mentioned are going to be the top tight ends in best ball and you know the, the fall off from there is going to be equally st- steep but i do think dawson knox is a name where you, you can get him a little bit later and he shows he has that upside that could really help your lineups
1: yeah i'm really yeah. interested in what three tight end builds look like this year because if you, you know the standard build is going to be taking a elite player you know at the very top you're taking andrews kelsey Pitts, Waller, Kittle, like those are the players that people are going to be having two tight ends total on their team. And that's it. I don't mind throwing Dalton Schultz in that mix. Um, You know, hopefully he gets a contract extension. But other than that, you're going to be seeing a lot of three tight end builds that have your, you know, Dawson Knox, Irv Smith Jr. And then maybe at the very end you throw in like a Hayden Hurst, somebody that's like tied to Joe Burrow. Those tight ends that are tied to elite offenses – you know that there's going to be weeks where they just don't do anything like Hayden Hurst. It's like, okay, well he like ran a couple of routes and that's it. There's going to be other weeks where his score was, you know, 50 and a touchdown. And that was awesome for where you could get him. That's what Dawson Knox is to me too. So are you comfortable taking him as your tight end one? But if if he's your tight end one in best ball, are you going for three tight ends?
2: Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's below that threshold for me where if he is, is the first tight end that i take i'm going to have to build that out with two more especially because he brings that volatility um but i think among the three tight end bills builds he's like the best top tight end that you could have um i think the four you mentioned are are kind of that line and then and then I, my trust falls off pretty quickly
1: yeah so other names that i think in good offenses just throw out a couple of tight end names irv smith jr i think can have weeks where he's catching those touchdowns tyler conklin's gone uh, I think he could be you know, third or fourth target in the offense. So I like him. A lot of people like Albert O uh, just because Russell Wilson's with him. So his ADP has not crept up as much as I thought. He's at 144 overall. And then another name, uh, Gerald Everett, is an eternal tease in terms of athleticism. And if you go through and look at what he's done in his career, like I, the other day we were talking about sleeper names for a show. And Jason and I sat down and we we're talking about Gerald Everett. And I was like, I don't really have many stats to back up why he could be good. Like there's not much in his history. The thing I can say is that Justin Herbert so far in two years has historically like looked at the tight end position and Jared Cook has had outlier seasons. So what if Gerald Everett is just a much younger version of Jared Cook? And if you knew you were getting that, you're getting a tight end too uh, for best ball. And that's what you want. So yeah. yeah and it,
2: that's that's a reasonable reasonable argument to make and one other name i throw in is hunter henry that's my i feel like we're just naming all the tight ends at this point but <laughs> he showed a really a really nice connection with mac jones last year was targeted a lot in the red zone even in the 10 zone um and that's kind of the kind of upside you want they have another year of building camaraderie and the patriots obviously have a uh, prestigious history in the past couple decades of having really prolific fantasy tight ends
1: all right so i want to end the show and asking you a patriots question okay so
2: Yes, please.
1: I was looking at contract information the other day, just looking at different positions. Can you explain to me why this team has decided to give out contracts to two tight ends that are on average averaging the most in terms of 2022 salary? And then they said, hey, you know what, Jonu? You're going to be a pass blocking (laughs) tight end, a run blocking tight end, and we're going to play you a stupid amount of money. Do you feel like as a fan that is a bad allocation of resources?
2: yeah so the first answer I'll give is in bill we trust and that's it now but but the real the the real answer I'll give is um I think the Patriots is a really well-run organization I think they had a good season last year they had a quick turnaround and they're going to be good again this year um the past two off seasons all the contracts you were mentioning last off season Nelson Aguilar they paid a ton Hunter Henry John o. Smith to me that was the reaction uh bill kind of got a little bit annoyed that Brady left for Tampa and he said oh yeah let's reload let's build the arsenal spend a ton of money very uncharacteristic of bill so I think it was a reaction to Tom Brady kind of leaving and then we saw in this draft as well I think another bit of a reaction obviously the Pats got blown out by the bills in the wild card 47 to 17 they look super slow super old um and clearly Bill like was a little bit reactionary from that and drafted just a ton of speed. You had kind of the weird Cole strange pick, the strange Cole strange pick in the first round, very fast player, uh, Tyquan Thornton. I think I may be, that might not be his name. I'm pretty sure yep. that's his name. Yep. Obviously a, a, a burner, the fastest player in, in, in the combine this year. So to me, these past two off seasons have been a story of bill Belichick reacting to something. Maybe he reacts a little bit too much, but I think in general, what's made him a great coach for decades is that he kind of sees. The trends and where they're going, and, and adapts to it, and is able to adapt over time. That's the pe- that's the optimistic take. If you want the pessimistic take, go to any Patriots tweet and scroll down to the comments, and you'll see all that. <laughs>
1: People <up. laughs> are just dogging on them nonstop. I guess you're a little exactly. privileged. Yeah, it is not. Yeah, you're a little privileged. Yes. Well, that about wraps up. Yeah, it's, it's up.
2: been a yeah yeah. That go about ahead, wraps
1: up ahead. our show, and uh, if you want to, you can follow Desorbo on the Twitter sphere at Data Visuals Visuals with a Z. Uh, and you can uh, get to know him, see all of his work on King Footballers' website. But until next week, uh, look forward to seeing you guys in the best ball streets. And if you want to shoot bets, a, a little tweet, you totally can.
2: Thanks for having me. See you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing.